I'm reading from Mark chapter 1, which is pretty much the beginning or sort of like the commissioning spaces in Jesus himself. And uh, last week we looked at Luke's, I had to go to Mark this time because we looked at Luke's baptism. Those of you who've got a long memory and you can go all the way one week. So now we read in Mark chapter 1 and verse 14, and, and we read this. After John the Baptist was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming, this is a word for a legal declaration. He's not just talking, he's actually like announcing, shifting the dynamics, proclaiming the euangelion, the good news of God. This was a word that was used by the Roman Empire when, for example, one of the Caesars had a son. It was a proclamation that there's a new rule in town. There's a new rule in the place. Jesus goes, in spite of the Roman Empire, in spite of the Jewish authorities, and he goes proclaiming the euangelium of God. The time has come. It's now. The basileia of God, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent. Believe this good news. And as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, I mean, this is massive. This is a declaration. There's powers, there's empires, there's all kinds of that. And you're thinking, wow, what a power dynamic is being introduced here. His first step, he walks beside the Sea of Galilee and he saw Simon and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake because they were fishermen, not anarchists. They weren't just throwing them in, they eventually pull it out again. He looks out of this massive declaration, these ordinary guys, and says, Come. carrying the kingdom says to all of us come follow me we've got a king who calls us to follow if you follow me I will make you I know the NIV says I will send you out to fish for people Actually, the word there is, I will make. It's the same word that we get creation and poetry from, poema. I will, I will make you into something. You're fishermen. I'm going to make you into fishers of men. So there's a play on words. At once, they left their nets, everything they knew. Follow Jesus. Going a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. They left their father Zebedee in the boat with three hired men, and they followed Jesus. Come, follow me. Jesus is already multiplying the kingdom by going to ordinary people saying, come, follow.
So we're looking at fishing and fishermen. And uh, Pastor Bevan, where is he hiding now? Pastor Bevan, there we are. Pastor Bevan loves fishing. I don't know if you heard that he went to Strandfontein recently and he managed to catch, <coughs> this was almost miraculous, two large cobble yoke. And so he's carrying them back to his car when a Cape Nature officer stopped him and asked him for his fishing license. And unfortunately, his license had expired. So Bevan decided that he needed to explain things to the officer. And he's thinking quickly, so he says, but officer, these fish are my pets. Every morning I bring them, you know, people take their dogs for a walk. I bring my fish for a, a swim in the sea. I let them go for a swim. It's very good for them, all the exercise, the fresh seawater. And when it's time to go, I whistle and they jump back into the bucket and then we come back the next day. And the officer was no fool. He was like, ah, 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 ah. So Bevan said, no, I'll show you. And he walked down to the water. He released the fish. And then he waited. And the officer stood next to him and he waited. And then he said, okay, well, now whistle. And Bevan said, I can't whistle. And he said, how are you going to get your fish back? He said, what fish? <laughs> Sometimes... You want fish. Most times you want fish. Talk to any fisherman. Um, and for these guys, this wasn't just sport. This wasn't just recreation. It was literally how their lives held together. Their communities depended upon them. They were like woven into the economy of this thing, woven into the ecology. They'd spent their, their, their lives as young men learning how to do this thing on the Sea of Galilee with the best equipment that they could come up with. And so they knew the business. But Jesus walks up and he's calling people to change. That word repent is make a deep change. Like you're going you're gonna to break the attachments you've had to one way of doing things. You're going to get rid of stuff that you know in all truth you're not proud of. To make a deep change. But so often we want the shape of our lives to go uninterrupted while we just add on God's kingdom and a bit of Jesus. Jesus is not going to let himself become a little add-on in your life. So he says two things. You look at them. Come, follow me. And then he makes a promise. I will make you a fish for people. So come, follow me. Last week, I met someone who literally follows over 5,000 people on Instagram. What? Like, how do you even? Like, how, yeah, I know. It's like, how do you even? Now, that is definitely not what Jesus meant when he said to the disciples, come, follow me. We, we think we can follow somebody without changing anything. But to follow Jesus in those moments literally meant walking away from their old selves, their old lives, even their families, because Jesus was going to be their rabbi, their teacher, their instructor. And so... How it worked in those days is people would learn a trade or a craft by following a master craftsman. Most often that was actually your dad or your mom. 
you would learn in-house. So when someone said, follow me, they were almost inviting you into their house. You're now going to have a different way of life to become their understudy. Now, what's interesting is in those days, well, I find it interesting. In those days, the masters didn't call their apprentices. The apprentices went around looking for masters. Isn't that right, Devin? You wouldn't, you wouldn't have someone going around recruiting. You would just be really good at what you did. And then the younger generation would look and they would find someone. So it's very different how Jesus approaches this. And it's interesting, he explains later, for example, in John chapter 15. You don't call me. I call you. You haven't even chosen me as much as you've had to make a decision. They clearly made a decision. But who made the first move? Jesus is modeling something about how the kingdom comes. God's always made the first move towards you. Like even when your heart is reaching out and you think heaven is absolutely dark and all the doors are shut and your heart is starting to reach out and you, you can't seem to get a breakthrough, I promise you the only reason your heart is reaching out is because God is reaching out to you. He didn't choose me. He's chosen me. I am chosen, not forsaken. We sang it earlier. God is reaching. And so he comes and he says, I'm calling. I'm, I'm inviting you. No, I'm, I'm commanding you. Come. Follow me. In those days, people also knew that you couldn't follow in this kind of way more than one teacher. Like you just couldn't rearrange your life and order everything to make following more than one person possible. You had to then choose. So Jesus takes the initiative, but then they are confronted by the choice. And that's still true theologically for us today. God, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He's taken the initiative, but he still calls us, follow me. And we've got to choose to stop following everything else. You can't follow two, Jesus said. No one can serve two masters. Yesterday morning, a bunch of us were riding in the dark on our bicycles, in the rain, in the cold, and we do this for fun, okay? And you're riding tight because it's much easier to slipstream, but the person in the front, because it's been raining and the wind's been blowing, has to look out for the fallen branches and the potholes and any other obstacles, and then you can't see because there's water spraying and everything like that, so what are you doing when you're following? You're trusting the other person to look out for where you're going. So the point is, is if you are going to hear Jesus call you, come follow me. You only do it because you trust him. You believe him but you also believe in him. And out of believing, following becomes the most natural thing. And if someone says, like Jesus says, follow me. If you don't follow, you don't believe. 
There's no sort of like airy-fairy, oh, I believe in Jesus, I'm just following my own way. He calls us, follow me. Now, there must have been something amazing about Jesus. I mean, really, he's just starting his mission ministry. He's, he's using this quite political empire-type language, but he just walks up to these guys and they at their necks. We don't know how much exposure they'd had to him before. I mean, they were from the same region. But Jesus hadn't really stepped out until his baptism. But now there's something about him. There's just something about Jesus. And then he walks up to him, walks up to them and says, Follow me. They do. It's a crisis and then a decision. It's a crisis. Like, this is Jesus. He's calling me. I've got to decide. And then they do. Imagine the emptiness. Imagine the puzzle gaps. I mean, there's Zebedee, his sons, James and John. They're standing with him one moment. They got up that morning. Nobody knew what was going to happen. And they go down to the beach and they're working the nets. And these guys are preparing or mending or getting these nets ready. Jesus walks up. Zebedee thinks, hey, I thought they would take over the family business from me. I had plans. Jesus says, no, I'm training them to take over from me. They're going to do my business. That's what they understood on that beach. They understood that when Jesus walks up, he says, I'm going to teach you to do what I do. I'm going to teach you to take over from me. Follow me. You're my apprentice. And then the promise. Because I'm going to make you someone able to catch people, fish for people. I, I will make you this. No longer fishermen, but fishers of men. So I heard that Kirk traveled to Norway, and, uh, and he was going fishing as well. And, he, and, and you know, there's fishing in Norway is like this big deal. Okay, and salmon is amazing. But one of the things they have to do is they go out onto the ice and they take like this, not quite a chainsaw thing, but they drill into the ice and then they cut a circle in the ice. And then they go, you've seen it before? I see you nodding. Yeah, no, we're just talking to each other. Okay. Um, but you, um, you know, you drill down and you put this thing in. <laughs> and... Uh, and so Kirk goes and he borrows all the equipment and everything like that. And he gets his chair and he goes out in the ice and he stands and he's about to start drilling in the ice when a voice comes from above. And he says, there's no fish under the ice. Kirk's quite a sensitive soul, so picks up his stuff and he goes off somewhere else and he gets ready again. Next thing again, from the atmosphere. There are no fish under the ice. So now he walks right, like, you know, a long way. Sits down. About to start. Gets the motor going. Next thing, loud. Son, there are no fish under the ice. Lord, is that you? No, it's the ice rink manager. Now get out. (laughs) 
Okay, back to our fishermen. I want you to notice this. Although they were well trained in fishing, unlike that story about Greg, they had no training in theology. They were ordinary, everyday people. And Jesus says, I will make you like me. You're going you're gonna to take over the family business of joining me. We're going to do what my father does in the world and in people's lives. That's what the kingdom is. These ordinary guys were going to do extraordinary things because they listened to his call. Now, before Jesus began his work, John the Baptist prophesied, Luke 3, 16, also Mark 1, I baptize you in water. But now he, speaking of Jesus, has baptized you in the Holy Spirit, baptized you in fire. Like literally you're going to come alive. In Acts 4, as the life of Jesus has played out and he's died for the sins of the world and he's canceled the power of darkness and its authority over our lives and made it possible for us to stand for him. These same ordinary fishermen are now standing in front of the powers that be in Jerusalem. And they're full of the Holy Spirit. They followed him, learned from him. They're fishing people into the kingdom. People are being healed. People are being set free. People are hearing good news. The outcasts are being included. And the love of God is literally passing from person to person. It's becoming contagious. And the grace of God, the fact that you can't earn this, the fact that the life of God is a gift that he gives because of who he is. And we have to humble ourselves and just accept it. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is. This is spreading everywhere. And even the skeptics, the authorities said, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized they were unschooled, ordinary people. They were astonished, like literally. They were astonished at what God was doing through these people. But then they remembered and took note they had walked with Jesus. They had walked with Jesus. Guys, that's how we're going to do Basileia. That's how we're going to do kingdom, is we've walked with Jesus. We've learned to do things as he does. So maybe a last thought. Fishing doesn't have easy guarantees of success. Fishing can be seriously hard. You don't always succeed. You spend a lot of time mending and preparing the nets and fixing the boat and doing everything. Most of the time spent on fishing, ask Pastor Bevan, is just getting ready for the moment. Like the moment happens so quickly. Most of your time is spent being ready for the moment. How do you get ready for the moment? You follow Jesus all the time. 
You follow him in the morning when you wake up. You follow him when you're reading God's word. You follow him when you're making tough decisions about what's right and wrong. You follow him when, when your friends are being cynics and you have to stand up for your faith. You follow Jesus. That's how you're ready for the moment. If you think that in a moment, like a door is opening in somebody's heart, then you're going to pray. Then you're going to learn your Bible. Then you're going to start making ethical choices and doing the right thing. You're going to miss the moment. Seriously. You miss that fish because you didn't do the following. And so spending our lives mending the net spending our lives paying attention to Jesus. He's our net. He's the thing that we use to catch fish. Staying close, keeping our relationship on fire. But although it's hard, I want to tell you it's fun. We read in Acts 2 verse 46 how these people gathered in their homes and they were eating together and they were glad and their hearts were completely real and sincere. Even when the apostles, Acts 4, got beaten up for following Jesus, they rejoiced because they had been counted worthy to suffer for his name. Read Acts 13, 52. The disciples are filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Guys, you can expect some serious joy and serious fun following Jesus, fishing for people, bringing them into the kingdom. Like seriously. Although it's a sacrifice, although it's a commitment, you can expect to have the time of your lives. Like seriously, I don't know if there's a better thing than when you share your heart of faith with somebody else and you see their life being changed by the grace and the kindness and the power of God. I don't know, but it's addictive. It's like, oh, when can I do this again? And oh, when can I do this again? It may be challenging. It may cost you everything. But you realize this is what I wanted all along. This is what I'm made for. So here's a question, and maybe I need to tell you a last story before I ask you the question. So you understand where the question comes from. So a long time ago, a lot of you leaders hadn't even been born. And our sons, Josh and Nathan, were about nine and ten years old. And we were holiday with some friends in a remote cabin on the wild coast in the Eastern Cape. See, I was born, I was just like in my happiest place ever. And us dads, my friend and myself, teaching our boys how to fish, especially in this case, how to catch shad. Because in the Western Cape, they're called elk. I don't know why. And... Uh, so the first morning, like, we smashed it. Now, to get to the place where you catch the shad at Mboiki, you've got to walk, you wake up early while it's still dark, and then you've got to gather all your stuff, and then you've got to walk four kilometers over trails, cross a lagoon, up a mountain, and then down a steep mountainside, very steep, and then you've got to cross a gully balancing on just two wooden telephone poles that the locals have conveniently repurposed, and, uh, and then eventually you walk out at Shark Point, and there's these flat rocks, and you can smash the shad. And so uh, we were there, and although the, you know, the boys, we, I mean, us dads, we were so cruel because like, you know, we bait them up, and they were, they were landing the fish. 
was so great. Every dad's dream. Any case, that night we said to them, tomorrow we'll go do it again. Except when we woke up at about four in the morning and gave them their Milo, they were tired and it was starting to rain. But undeterred, we assured them that catching fish is just amazing. It was going to be fun. So we walked the four kilometers carrying the rods and the fishing tackle and the bait and the you know, holding nets to bring everything back down the steep mountain, but now it's slippery, so it's seriously dangerous across the telephone pole bridge. Now the wind is howling. We bait up, we cast out, but casting's difficult. The wind's blowing the bait in the wrong direction, and it is driving with rain. The fish decided the weather was so disgusting, they were also leaving, okay? And so now there's no fish. It's pouring with rain. And Graham, my mate, and I, we're trying to catch some fish. The boys are giving up. They're hiding in a little cleft in the rock. And, uh, and then I hear Josh ask a simple question. Dad, are we having fun yet? Like, he just wanted to know, you know, <laughs> is this the definition? You know, sometimes when you're going after the fish, it can seem so hard, so tiring, so unsuccessful, and it can go on and on. Sometimes you're just smashing it, and it's just so exciting. But leaders, when you see each other, and the day's getting along. Ask him, are you having fun yet? You're having fun yet. Remember the reward. Remember the incentive. Remember that the, the cold front will pass and the conditions will return. And Jesus says, follow me. Loves the promise. Hide in me. I in you. Follow me. Follow me. I'll give you the power.